you have a phone or a tablet. Of course, you're new to Grace here today. Uh, we're going to put these scriptures on the screen, but I always encourage you to bring uh, your Bible to church. I just like the feel of a book in my hand. I like to bring my Bible. I encourage you to do that uh, week in and week out. We are ending a series today that we started weeks ago called Under Construction. And we actually started this series in the book of Matthew. Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And at the very end of that sermon in Matthew chapter 7, he talks about two builders. And he says something that I think is very important. He says, those who hear my words and do them, they're like those who build on the rock. And then he says this, those who hear my words, but they don't do them, they build on sand. So I think sometimes in life, we have this false uh, understanding that uh, if we do nothing, nothing gets done. But I'm here to tell you that the truth of God's word says that if you hear his word and you do nothing, you're actually doing something. You're building You're just building on sand. So we've been saying this truth each week. Inactivity is activity. When you do nothing, the Bible says you're actually doing something. You're just building on the wrong foundation. So every day you're building. Every week you're building. huh? Every month, every year. You're not just wasting time. You're either building on the rock or you're building on the sand. It just depends on whether you walk in obedience to God's word or whether you don't do what God has called you to do. So then we moved over to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is an interesting person in the word of God. He actually is not a prophet. He's not a king. He's just a laborer. He has a nine to five job. He has a great job though. He, he has a job that, that is important. He has a job that, that pays well. It's an important position. Uh, he gets to sleep in the king's palace. He gets to eat the best food. I mean, this is a great job. And so it kind of it's kind of like, you know, we attain the career that we want. We, we get that corner office. We're living in the house of our dreams. We're driving the car that we want to drive. I mean, we're paying the bills. Life is good. We get the vacation the way we want. I mean, everything just seems to be in order. But then somebody visits uh, Nehemiah from his homeland, and he just asks a simple question. How are things? How, how are my people doing, Right? And he gets a bad report. He says that the city that you grew up in, Jerusalem, is burned with fire. The walls are destroyed. The people are scattered. And so Nehemiah understands that he was called now for a purpose. And actually the king sees him. And the king says, Nehemiah, what's wrong? What's going on? You, you don't look right. And, and that's the truth of of fulfilling God's purpose for our life, that when we fail to do what God's called us to do, something's off. Listen, you could have everything going well. You could have money in the bank. You could have the the marriage going well, the kids going well. You know, everything just seems to be lining up the way it should. But if you're not fulfilling God's purpose for your life, something is off. Amen. And so we looked at this quote last week that I thought was so significant from Francis Chan. He said, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding in life at things that don't really matter, right? We don't want to succeed in life at those things that at the end of our life, they don't really matter. 
right? We want to do God's will and fulfill God's purpose. And so Nehemiah goes on this journey to begin to rebuild the walls. He said, I've been called for a purpose. I want to do what God's called me to do. He goes to rebuild the walls. But now let's look at at Nehemiah chapter 2. We're going to go to the end of the chapter, and we're going to start in verse number 19. It says this, But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us, watch, and despised us. And they said, what is this thing that you're doing? Will you rebel against the king? So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. Listen, Nehemiah goes to build the walls. I mean, he just goes to do something that I would think would be you know, honorable, and he goes to do something that seems like it would be right. Hey, we're going to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. But wouldn't you know that there would be opposition to this plan? He's well-funded. He's got the money that he needs. He's got the time off from the king. And it seems like everything's just going to go well, that he's just going to be able to show up in Jerusalem. He's got people that have gathered around him to work with them. And he just seems like, hey, life's going to be great. Life's going to be good. We're going to fulfill God's plan. We're going to fulfill God's purpose. I'm going to do what God's called me to do. Hey, everything's going to go well. But wouldn't you know that there would be opposition, right, to God's will and God's purpose? And I want you to know in life, and here's the truth of what I want to talk to you about today, is that you have an enemy who does not want you to fulfill the plan and purpose of God in your life. You have an enemy who does not like you. Not only does he not like you, listen to me, he actually hates you. He hates you. He hates everything about you. He is the original hater and haters are gonna, come on now. They're just gonna hate. And that's all he knows to do. He hates when you get up in the morning. He hates when you go to work. He hates your marriage. He hates your kids. He hates you walking in divine health. He hates you prospering. He hates you worshiping. He hates you being here. He hates you serving in church. He hates everything about you. And from the moment you get up, And even while you're asleep, the devil is actively planning for your demise. He is trying to get you to be divorced. He's trying to get your kids to get on drugs and go crazy. He's trying to ruin your business. He's trying to put sickness on you. He's trying to put disease on you. He wants to empty your bank accounts. He hates everything about you. Some of you go, Pastor, come on now. It's not that serious, is it? Oh, yes, it is. He hates and he hates and he hates and he hates. But I've got good news today. Tell me some good news, huh? Ready for some good news? 
There's also somebody who loves. Come on now. And he loves everything about you. He loves when you get up in the morning. He loves when you go to bed at night. He loves your marriage. He loves your kids. He loves you serving God. He loves you in church. He loves when you worship. He loves when you're healthy. He loves you walking in divine health. He loves when you prosper. He loves your business. He loves everything about you. There is a God, listen to me now, who loves and loves and loves and loves and loves. Hallelujah. And God's love is so much greater than the devil's hate. Somebody say amen. God loves and loves and loves and loves. And he is stronger than the enemy. Let me tell you, there is a fight that we have to fight. Come on now. There is opposition to God's will and God's plan. But that doesn't mean that this thing's even. Come on now. The devil on his best day is no match for God. Listen, the devil on his best day cannot defeat what God has done in your life. The Bible says this, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Listen, we do have to fight. We do have to wrestle. But this is no tug of war where one day I'm good and one day I got God's promises. And one day, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve God and we're just tugging on one end just hoping that this is a good day and the devil devil has a bad day. No, that's not how this works. This is no, no horizontal tug of war. This is a vertical battle where we have a commander in chief who has already won the victory. All we have to do is enforce what God has already secured. Hallelujah. He's already won the battle. We're just enforcing the victory of Calvary. Hallelujah. So listen, we do have to fight, but we don't fight, right? On this, on this same plane. We don't fight this even battle. We have the victory through Jesus Christ, but we still have to fight. Okay? There was opposition to Nehemiah. There was, there was an enemy that came against him. There were those who have said, you're not going to build that wall. You're not going to build that wall. And so here's what Nehemiah did. Watch this. Nehemiah chapter four now. Let's go over to chapter four. Just flip over a couple chapters. And chapter four, verse number 17 says this. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other held a weapon. Listen now, watch this. This is how it worked. Nehemiah said, we're going to rebuild these walls. It's going to get done. We're going to do what God has called us to do. He says that I want everybody to take building materials. I want you to take a hammer. I want you to take a trowel. I want you to take whatever they use to build because I don't build. So whatever you use to build, right? I want you to put it in one hand. Then with the other hand, I want you to get a sword. So that they built with one hand and they held a weapon in the other. Hallelujah. So they're laying block with one hand and in this hand, they got a sword and said, bring it on. Bring it on. These walls are going to get built. God's temple is going to be established. God's will, God's plan is going to get done. And we see this same principle now. In God's word, we see this same approach where it's this duality where we build with one hand and fight with another, right? 
Because you have to understand, here's what James says. James says this. James says, submit yourself to God, James 1, 7. Resist the devil and what happens? He has to flee. So you see this same duality. You see James is kind of bringing over this principle from Nehemiah where you build, come on now, you submit to God, you build, you do what God's called you to do, right? That means thinking right, acting right, looking at the right stuff, saying the right words. I'm building my life. I'm controlling my temper. I'm walking in self-control. I'm walking in a disciplined life. I'm reading my Bible. I'm building my life, right? But then it also says this, resist the devil, So with this hand, I got a sword, right? With this hand, I'm doing battle. With this hand, uh, I'm going to declare to the enemy that that he has no right to trespass in my life. With this hand, I'm going to fight. So I'm building, I'm submitting, that's first, but then I'm also fighting. I'm also fighting because you have to know that there is a fight. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, but your adversary, the devil, he walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And listen, this is the emphasis, your, right? Not just the pastors, come on now. Not just the churches, not the evangelist, not the prophet, not, not the apostle, your adversary. There is a poster in hell with your face on it and underneath it, it says wanted. Do you hear me now? He doesn't like you. It is personal, right? He, I know he doesn't like the pastor. I know he don't like some of you. I know he don't like the church. I know he don't like the pastor, but I haven't done anything to the devil. I haven't, I haven't done anything. He still hates you. He's still after you. He's still your enemy, right? He will always be your enemy. He's your adversary, but when we submit to God, huh? Resist the devil. Here's the promise from God. He has to flee. Listen, sticking our head in the sand, pretending that he doesn't exist. Come on now. How many of you know the devil's real? All you got to do is look around this world. I, I, I watch commercials. Well, I don't watch them, but commercials will come on or I'll read about some murder somewhere. Commercials will come on for horror movies. I don't do horror movies. No, why? Why would you pay money to go see that? I watched my last horror movie like in the early 80s when Halloween came out. They shot this dude like 12 times. He flipped over a balcony and then when they go to check on him, he's not there. I'm out. I'm gone. No way. I'm done. If you can't kill him, what's the point? I stopped watching them right then and there. I said, uh-huh, these ain't for me. No way. I don't know why. I think watching a horror movie invites spirits of fear into your house, into your life. I'm not watching any horror movies. We don't watch them. I don't want nothing to do with them. No way. No way. But I want you to know there's a real devil. Where do you think people, when they, when they kill and, and you hear these serial killers and you hear about these horrific crimes and they talk about voices in their head and, and, and what gave them the urge? The devil gave them the urge. There's a real devil out there, right? And so we have to understand, we have to resist him. We can't just pretend like it doesn't exist. We can't pretend like there's no battle. 
Now, you may be here today and you say, well, Pastor, you know what? In my life right now, the marriage is going good and I got some money in the bank and, and I got a little nest egg and I got some retirement and, and I got my health and I, I think things are going well. Let me just tell you right now, things may be going well right now and praise God if they are and I'm believing with you and I'm standing with you and I'm excited for you, Right? But how many of you know it's one phone call, it's one diagnosis, it's one car accident, it's one, you're just one event away from tragedy. So you have to know the enemy is still plotting against you. Huh? So that's why we resist. And I think what has to happen is we just have to, we have to get angry. I'm not talking about physically angry. I'm talking about spiritually angry. Right? Right? I had this guy in my office, I was counseling. This is years ago, like 10 years ago. We were in a couple offices ago. We were on Fairlane Farms Road in these offices. And I was counseling this guy. I mean, he's having so many problems in his life. I mean, financially, he was having problems in his marriage. And he's having problems with his kid. And all these problems he was having. And he sat across the desk from me and I looked at him. And he had a young teenage daughter. And I don't know what... Propelled me, compelled me to say this, but I just said to him, hey, you know what? I said his name and I said, what would happen if somebody messed with your daughter? Now, I, as soon as I got it out of my mouth, he sat up in his chair, leaned over the desk. His eyes got this big. Now, what you have to know about this guy is he was straight up New York City. You know what I'm saying? He was from New York. His last name ended in a vowel. That's all I'm going to say. I'm just saying this guy looked at me and he said to me, whoever touches my daughter, I'd kill him. Now, he didn't mean I'd hurt him. He didn't mean I'd hospitalize him. He didn't mean I'd kick him in the shin. He meant, you touch my kid and you die. I kill you. Now, I know there's lots of parents in this room, come on now, that you're sweet and you're nice and you're meek and you're mild, but anybody messes with your kids, come on now, anybody messes with it's on. You understand? It is on. The claws come out. I'm talking about you. Don't mess with my kids. Listen, I'm a lover, not a fighter. You could tell that about me. But I want you to know this. You touch my kids, you're going to get all of me. I'm going to bring everything I got. You're getting all 6'2", 220. You know what I'm saying? That's just what I think I am sometimes. I'm not, you know, that's just, that's what I want to be. So you're getting all of me. You're getting all of it. And I looked at this guy, Mike, and after I said that to him and he said, I'll kill him, which I believed he meant, okay? I said, well, listen, there's a real devil messing with her. And there's a real devil messing with your wife. And there's a real devil messing with your family and your finances. Why don't you do something about it? Do something about it. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, the whole chapter tells one story. It's an incredible chapter. And it talks about King David and he was off fighting a battle and he's got his men with him and he's, he's leading an army. And while he's leading an army, his family is in a city called Ziklag and it gets invaded. And here's what happens. These enemies come in and, and they kidnap 
David's family and the family of all the men that are with him, right? And they burn down his house and they take all his stuff. So that when he comes back into town, he sees smoke from a distance. His heart probably begins to sink. He begins to go faster and faster because he realized something's off, something's not right. And he goes into the city to find the entire city burned to the ground and his family kidnapped and all of his stuff taken. And the Bible says he and the men that were with him, they wept and they wept and they wept until they did not have any more power to weep. But at some point, David begins to pray. Huh? And he says to God, God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And God's up there in heaven going, what are you going to do? Do something. Go after them. What, are you just going to roll over? You're just going to play dead? You're just going to be a doormat all your life to the enemy? Do something. Right? So David pursues the enemy. Watch this. He finds an Egyptian slave that they discarded. They just kicked him to the curb. David picks this guy up and says, hey, you know where the hideout is? You know where they're staying? The Egyptian says, hey, if you don't kill me, I'll take you right to them. So here's what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 30, somewhere around verse 17, the Bible says this. So David like, crawls up on this hill and he sees them. He goes to the enemy's camp and he sees them and they're eating and they're drinking and they're dancing. They're having a party at David's expense. And let me just tell you right now, there's a real enemy who does not like you. He hates you. He wants to come in and take from you and have a party at your expense. He wants to take your health. He wants to take your kids. He wants to take your finances. He wants to take your peace. He wants to take your joy. He wants to take you sleeping at night. He wants to take all of it away, and he wants to have a party at your expense. And here's what the Bible says David did. David grabbed his sword out. Come on now. And he said, it's on. And the Bible says at the end of that verse, and he fought them from the twilight of one evening to the very next day. To the evening of the very next day. That is a long time. That could be anywhere from 12, 14, 16, 24, 30 hours. David took a sword in his hand and said, it is on. And he just started cracking skulls with it. You understand? He just started wearing them out. He killed everything that he could, right? He beat the enemy from one hour to the next hour to the next hour to the next hour. Why? Because something rose up inside of him to say, I have had enough of the enemy coming in and having a party at my expense. And listen to me, Christian, 
Huh? Listen to me, churchgoer. Listen to me, those who stood in worship today along with me. Listen to me. I join with you to say, I have had enough of the enemy coming into my life and taking from me. And so something has to rise up on the inside of us to say, no more will I allow the enemy to steal my joy, my peace, my health, come on, my finances, take my kids, destroy my marriage. No, he will not be allowed into my home any longer. Somebody say amen. 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 I'm tired of the enemy. No, no, no. Now watch what happens. Watch what happens. There's, there's something about that verse. I read it to you earlier from 1 Peter chapter 5. Because Peter's writing and he says, you have an adversary. Right? Watch this. I looked at that word adversary in the Greek. And it actually is this word. It is the word anti Dikos. It literally means this, an opponent in a courtroom battle. Huh? It's not on a battlefield like we would think. Now, listen, I understand David took a sword, but we don't take a, a natural sword. The Bible says this, that our weapons are not carnal, right? Right? But we still have weapons. But Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, this right here is sharper than any two-edged sword, right? It says that this book right here is a weapon. And when we fight the enemy, right, it's not about screaming and shouting. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, shouting is necessary sometimes. Listen, and, and, and getting emotional, there's nothing wrong with that. We should be somewhat emotional if we're, we had stuff stolen from us. But what we do is we simply walk into a courtroom and every courtroom has a set of rules it goes by. Or you could say this, statutes that it rules by. Judges don't or shouldn't give their opinion. Come on now. They rule according to law, a constitution, things that are past statutes that are established, right? And so they go, according to that statute, here's my ruling. Now listen, you have to know this. These words on the pages of the Bible are statutes. We sang about it today. Pastor Alex talked about it. There are promises given to us in the courtroom, right? In a legal battle that we can declare over our lives. Watch what Nehemiah says. Let's go back to Nehemiah chapter four, verse 20. Watch with this. He talks to the enemy. He talks to Sam Ballot. He talks to Tobiah. He talks to Gershom. And here's what he says. He says this in Nehemiah chapter four. He says, you have no heritage. Watch this. You have no right and you have no memorial here. You have no right to be here. In other words, you are trespassing. This is not your city. This isn't your town. You, you don't have any, any say-so in this matter. You have no right to be here so that the enemy, right, is held at bay when we tell him he has no right to come into our home. He has no right to, 
to cause divorce in our marriage. He has no right to take our kids away. He has no right to disturb our peace. He has no right to rob us of our joy. Why? Because there are promises in this book. And when I speak the promises of God, it's like I'm standing in a courtroom. I'm standing before a judge and I'm saying, this is what the book says. And because the book says this, God, you've already ruled. There's already been a statute. I resist the enemy and the enemy has to flee. Hallelujah. Listen, you have to know your rights. You just have to know your rights. You have to know what the word of God says. You have to know that it says you're healed. Come on now. You have to know that it says that you can have peace. You have to know that it says that when you love your wife as Christ loves the church, that God does something in your marriage. You have to know that that Psalms 127 says that children are a gift from God. Hallelujah. You have to know what the word of God says. You have to open up this book and you say, devil, okay. I know you hate me. I know you hate everything about me, but you're no match for what this says. I'm coming into a courtroom today. I'm going to speak the word of God over my life, my family. I'm going to speak the word of God over my finances. I'm going to speak the word of God over my health. The end of service, first service today, I had a guy come up. He said, Pastor, I need you to pray for me. I've been given a very bad diagnosis. I said, boy, didn't you come on the right day? Didn't you come on the right day? And so we just simply opened up this book and says, here's what the word of God says about healing, right? The enemy's trying to take from him. The enemy's trying to steal from him. The enemy's trying to keep him from building a life. And I says, this book says you are healed. In fact, we said it. We said it, 1 Peter 2.24, by his stripes, you were healed. We spoke it over him, we prayed it over him, and we believe God, amen? And the Bible says this, when you submit to God, you resist the devil, he has to flee. 